This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Gregory Pine. And welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoyed the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory Pine. Hello. You are bearded. <laughs> That's true. I was bearded I last never time, still, except. I know. I never, I'm not used to it yet. Okay. But I'm getting there. Will you ever get used to it? Because you look down on beards the way you look down on jeans, don't you? Oh, uh, I love beards. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big beard man. Uh, I always wore a beard until I entered the novitiate or something. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think beards are, beards are great. Thumbs up on beards. Beards, beard. bears, beats, Battlestar jeans, Galactica. Exactly. Jeans. Yeah. yeah. I mean, jeans are fine. Just don't wear them. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you're a minor, okay. Like, you know, Father Joseph Anthony's dad and it's kind of like, okay, you got you to gotta wear jeans. That's what they're for. You know, yeah. or gardening or something. But like, wearing them out? Yeah. Who does that? Anyway. Jeans wearers. Uh, ex- jeans wearers do, you know? <laughs> uh, it's, we got to have like a broken, so broken windows policy uh-huh. was uh, William Bratton and Rudy Giuliani in mayor of New York City uh, when I was growing up. And that really changed the crime in New York, like lessened it because you, you got people like jumping turnstiles and doing small things, broken windows and paying attention to little things. Uh-huh. And it turns out people who do little things are also inclined to do big things. Turns out. So if you stop them with little things, it's easier than get them on like murder or uh, double homicides. So we could have like a broken jeans policy. <laughs> like if you stopped, this is where I'm going with this. Uh, if you could, if you stop people from wearing jeans, yeah. then you might bring down the murder rate. Uh-huh. Because I bet you yep. a good amount of crime mm-hmm. is done in jeans. <laughs> I mean, I literally think that a lot of crime is done with people wearing jeans. You think so? So uh, if you remove jean wearers, um, could be correlation, but <laughs> it's just hard to know sometimes what that is. There's no way of knowing. This is not the intro that we were going to talk about, <laughs> but it just, it stumbled upon me and uh, listeners just be aware. Um, it seems to be statistically the case that if you wear jeans, you're more likely to commit crime. <laughs> That's just, it's out there. Um, I'm just saying that. So it's October though. It is. Uh, a time of, you could say like costume crime because uh-huh. uh, it's Halloween times. Right. Yeah, great point. But it's also a time of the saints, right? The whole, all Hallows Eve is for the saints. And we were just talking about uh, each month has its own kind of character and sometimes has some big saints in there and some great things. Uh-huh. It's a bit like a movie, you know, like a summer movie schedule and you look at it and you think there's the big great ones coming out. Right. And then there's some other ones you think, eh, and then there's some ones you think they're just slipping that in, hoping that we're not going to pay attention. Maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get caught in a double feature or something. But October is a great month, at least for me, for having some saints. But uh, what is your top saint day of October? Yeah, great question. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, we were talking about which saint days fall on which days, and we realized that we don't have many of them down with exactitude, and that's in keeping with our general strategy of horseshoes and hand grenades when it comes to truth claims, although we try to signal when we're estimating. Our truth claims are good. Our fact claims are not as good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. Yeah, good distinction. Um, So Marian Month, you know, it's one of those things when people ask you what's your favorite book, you have to say the Bible because it's objectively higher. You don't agree, but I'm just going to keep talking. No, I'm just saying do not quote, do not do LaPont. Don't, okay. I'm not quoting anything. Nothing has been quoted. Justin's coming. Justin's not. No, he's not coming. Yeah. So it's Mary's Month. You got the Feast of Our Lady of the Holy Rosary, which is a winner. I have two particular attachments, well, three particular attachments during the month of October, all in that first week. Yeah. So St. Therese, who is a favorite of mine, but she's a favorite of a lot of people. Yeah. So I think a lot of us in choosing favorites, we want to set ourselves apart from other people, carve out a particular place in the life of the church. So it's like my favorite saint is St. Cunagunda. Not the case for me. I like St. Therese along with half of the universal church. Also St. Francis of Assisi. So I still have that connection there to Steubenville. Yeah, that's great. And then St. Bruno, because the semester that we studied abroad, we were in a Carthusian monastery. 
It was built in the 14th century, decommissioned in the 18th century. But we got a lot of St. Bruno as a result, whom I love. So those would be some faves. Yeah. I mean, you, that's not Giordano. It's the other Bruno. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just St. Bruno. Yeah, got just it. Bruno, Fantastic. The, the, the Bruno. That's the great. The Bruner. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So he lived in like the 11th century, I think. 11th and 12th. Um, who are yours? Uh, well, I, I mean, October 4th is great, obviously. St. Francis feast, Holy Father Francis. We get to call him that, even though I remember I was, I called him Holy Father Francis and someone corrected me and said he was only a deacon. And after I, he was a jean wearer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just what they do. Uh, <laughs> those people. So, uh, but I let him know. Yeah, I'm, oh my gosh. You mean I, okay. Um, we, we traditionally call him Holy Father Francis of Dominicans. Uh, and cause the, and they call Holy Father Dominic because yeah. they're so close to each other. And the tradition of course of, and I remember this of having Francisco, Franciscans come and preach to us on St. Dominic's day or a Dominican feast day and us going out to preach to Franciscans. And so when we were in the division together, we went to Father Basil Cole, great uh, Dominican theologian and uh, teacher and was a prior for us. And we went out to the Franciscan place and he preached a great homily uh, to the Franciscans, um, which uh, started off fantastically. So um, that was great. So October 4th is fantastic. October 22nd is good. That's JP2, uh, of course. So I'm a big fan of JP2. Uh, let's see. I think it's, oh, oh man, I want to say October 13th for Cardinal Newman, but I'm not sure it could be the 14th, but I think it's the 13th. Uh, could be another month. <laughs> could be. It's a factual claim. So who knows? Uh, I know it's October uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's October. Um, but obviously uh, the rosary is fine. Um, but obviously the big day of course is October 5th. Um, not blessed Raymond of Capua, but uh, St. Faustina, mm. doctor of mercy. Um, but the problem, of course, is Dominican uh-huh. is this is Blessed Raymond of Capua's uh-huh. feast day. And you have to like outrank someone. So Cap- Blessed Raymond is an optional memorial for us. And St. Faustina is now an optional memorial, not obligatory yet, nor mm-hmm. feast or solemnity. Um, and so it there's a tie rank uh-huh. and the tie goes to the Dominican right. uh, in favor. So um, right now, unless I celebrate a mass out, uh-huh. I, have to, I don't get to celebrate a feast day. So I... Ergo, um, viewers, listeners, if you want to find me on October 5th in the morning, <laughs> do not look for a Dominican Priory. Uh, I will be out somewhere exactly. celebrating Mass. So October 5th is uh, St. Faustino's, and that's obviously the big day. Nice. But we're not talking about feasts nor genes. Uh, we're talking about other kinds of sins, not genes. Uh, but actually the sin of gluttony. Sin we of are. gluttony. Yeah, yeah which... Uh, as a deadly sin, it's a tricky one, of course, because in some ways it's so obvious. Some of the deadly sins like pride, for instance, are harder to see, even though they're much more important. And these, these other sins though, like lust, um, but particularly gluttony, they're more visible, you could say in a way. But I think we also want to make clear that actually sometimes they're not. Mm. Remember sins and vices, this is really a vice, uh, the vice of gluttony. Um, it is not a matter of like material quantity, but it's a touchy, it's, it is a, we want to be careful with this one as with all the vices, uh, to be careful of identifying them correctly, uh, as opposed to uh, misidentifying them and causing confusion and undue stress and all of that. So, um, glut, what are the, what are the, I don't know, I guess the landmines involved in gluttony. Yeah. So I think that with any of the deadly sins and we've had it a few episodes yeah, now on the have. deadly sins and we had a retreat on the deadly sins last summer. Uh, I guess last, last summer. Now it's been um, last, last. That's not a, that's Loneliness. Not a technical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. When Father Patrick gave a talk on lust in which he didn't actually mention lust. Uh, classic Irish move there. Um, but with, with all of the deadly sins, 
were, we described them as deadly or as capital mm-hmm. or as especially vicious insofar as they give rise to a variety yeah. of spiritual maladies. So they kind of stand at the headwaters of our own undoing. Uh, so they'd be like um, employing a logic counter to the logic of virtue, counter to the logic of grace in not so much simply impeding or hindering our healing and growth, but actually undoing them. And rather than being attached to the things that give life and beatitude, detaching us from those things and attaching us to lower goods as if they were in fact our greatest good. Mm -hmm. So whenever we're thinking about the deadly sins, we do so within the setting of a kind of theological anthropology. And we have an understanding of who we are before God, the vocation to which we're called, how we seek to respond to that by consent, by cooperation. And then the logic of the world, the flesh, and the devil, which would distract us or deflect us from that course and have us settle for something less. So I think one of the big clarion calls at the beginning of any conversation concerning uh, the deadly sins is like, Christian, remember your dignity. Remember that you were made for more. You were made for God, nothing short of God, and you'll never be satisfied with anything less. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that you know, starting the conversation with that is sometimes helpful. It's good. And to remind us that it's about a reordering of our lives appropriately so that the passions are now brought up into, into reason, the lower appetites, the higher appetites, soul to God, this sort of this reordering principle. And that the vices, as you mentioned, counter that logic. So it's a downward, it's a descending logic, you could say, towards the material things, the, le- the lower things, uh, as opposed to an ascending logic of the of of the life of grace and the life of the mind as it infiltrates, you could say, or permeates or reorders the passions, the lower things. And then specifically when we look at gluttony, um, <clears throat> this is the, this is the, the, the vice, uh, and the sin involved with, uh, lack of temperance. Okay. So one of the cardinal virtues, temperance, the moderation of, of do things and in, in, in for food and drink and sex in this way. And this particular one is for food, food and drink. So this is a, so this is, if we look at the, the schema of that St. Thomas Aquinas gives us, you put this in the, the realm of temperance as the, the cardinal virtue. And then this is a sin against that. And one of the capital sins, as you say, about this kind of outflowing thing. Quickly mentioned though, we should say, as we'll get, because I want a formal definition for you on this sort mm. of thing. This is your, you haven't written the temp, written the temperance book yet. Kind um, and then we'll, and then there might be the, the seven, whatever. Mm. We're not giving you too many book contracts, but Mm. listeners be ready. Mm-hmm. But it is tricky today in because, not because we're more sensitive as a society, I think, too, but paradoxically, as you get more attached to the material things and move away from the life of spirit, which I think in our society, I mean, every society is bad or dangerous, but we're, we're particularly materialistic, you could say today. I think this is probably the case. Uh, if you just compare this with 1300s and the plague, people are just, you know, pictures of skeletons wandering around. It's just not a death is more okay with them. And they have a sense of spirit world for good or ill. We're more materialistic. And so you might think actually that, um, we're, we would understand this sin better, uh, and we'd be more attentive to it. But I think actually, because you're so focused on the material and because as the heart dissipates over things that it becomes more dangerous and more fragile to talk about. So, um, with gluttony, of course, we're running around issues of dealing with food and drink and how people overeat or, or undereat. Mm-hmm. And in our society today, there you can, of course, uh, do go wrong in both these ways. And mm-hmm. gluttony touches t- both both these things. And that there are like psychological conditions that in, involve ourselves. So, as with all things, these are matters of spirit and the psyche. Mm-hmm. And we have to be attentive to not being black and white, but rather being a t- being nuanced mm-hmm. and variegated about the complicated natures of the soul about this. Yeah. 
So I think, yeah, you're right to situate it within the virtue of temperance. Mm -hmm. Temperance, like all the moral virtues. So, you know, you think here of courage, sometimes called fortitude and justice in a particular way. It wends its way between excess and defect. Mm -hmm. So we're more accustomed to talk about the the contrary vice by way of excess, which would yeah. be intemperance or overindulgence. But mm -hmm. then there's another one uh, by way of defect, which is called insensibility. Uh, basically an incapacity or an inability to be moved by sense goods. So you associate food and drink with like, um, you know, like weight gain, dietetic breakdown, mm -hmm. the eventual rejection by your friends and intimates, whatever it is. And as a result of which, because of um, certain judgments that you've brought to the table, you're unable to engage with sense goods in a healthy fashion. And I think you're right also to uh, begin with the sense that, okay, there are physical emotional, psychological, and spiritual components to this. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of like, I like food. I will moderate the way that I like food because, you know, like you, already we're thinking of bulimia and anorexia yes. being the two most prominent expressions of an eating disorder, but there is something psychological mm -hmm. where it, it doesn't just represent nourishment or enjoyment. It represents a whole kind of interrelated network of sense potential of trauma, and, yep. sense mm -hmm. of self, esteem, yeah. valuation, yes. et cetera. Um, all of which are good to be sensitive to. So mm -hmm. it's not so much a matter of like, okay, I've identified the problem. Now I'll try and fix it. I mean, it's good to try and fix it, but with the recognition that it might be more complicated than at present we recognize. And we don't want to give ourselves a complex about food because at the sure. end of the day, it's a relatively low good. Now, yep. mind you, it's important since we have to eat in order to continue an existence, just not unlike the way that we need to have sexual intercourse in order to continue an existence. Yep. The one pertains to us as an individual, the other pertains to us as a species. And so they're very instinctual. They're going to be felt very acutely. And so we need to be ready for original sin to have a peculiar effect in these particular desires, right? So that's all to simply say that it's not just a matter of, ah, yes, I will have two cookies or three. Mm -hmm. There's, it, it draws on a lot of our stores as human yeah. beings and requires of us a certain integration. No, this is, and this is very important that it's, it's tailored to the individual, not in a personal like weight gain or weight loss plan or something like that, but your, your virtues and the, and the corresponding vices, vices, um, are related to your particular nature, not just a human, but then also your specific manifestation of that. So I knew when I was in Florida teaching before I became a Dominican, um, one of my friends down there was an NFL football player. And he was, uh, I think, a fullback for the Carolina Panthers, number 73. And he played for two years. It was huge. Uh, his, his legs and his arms. I mean, I felt bad for him, actually, because he couldn't fit into normal cars. Uh, he couldn't sit in normal chairs. Like going to the movies was uncomfortable. Everything was uncomfortable for him. Really, the world was not designed for him. When we go out to restaurants, uh, you couldn't sit in booths because he wouldn't really fit in the booth. And if he did, he would take up one whole side. So there's always awkward like numbers sitting there. Also, what most germane here is that menus and food portions are not set to him. Uh, to keep his body in what the condition not to be in, just for just sheer size, uh, he needed to eat two or three normal meals. And you might think, okay, well, you know, gluttony, how do we define this? Well, it's, you know, two Big Macs or three Big Macs is certainly gluttonous or something. Or like three chicken breasts. That's certainly, you know, thirds are certainly a problem. But for him, like thirds and fourths were just part of the regular meal. And he was always having to eat a lot more. And so gluttony for him is set to his own physical manifestation, who he is and how he sets. So it's not, it's not a... It's not a black and white matter, but something we have to be sensitive to and not as an excuse like, oh, you know, it's, 
but to realize that we have a certain mean that sets our standards of excellence, including excellence in, in food and drink. It seems strange to have an idea of excellence in food and drink, but it's about nourishing our bodies. So I think it's, yeah, it's important to realize that this is a, a matter that has many factors, including the spe- specifics about your own body that yeah. need to be taken into account. Yeah. So that's why when St. Thomas will define it, he'll say uh, that gluttony is an immoderate or yeah. it's an excessive desire for food. So it, it concerns the desire. The desire is proportioned to the individual. And when that goes off the rails, right, when you desire inordinately for the consumption of food in one way, shape or form, then that actually represents an undermining of your own humanity. So yeah. it's it's proportionate to your humanity as given by God. Ultimately, yep. it's referable to God. So it's not like man is the measure of all things. It's just simply to say that, you know, food comes to us as both, you know, nourishment and enjoyment. And we need to incorporate those into a human culture. Like I need to be nourished by eating the right foods, prepared well, and the proper time and place. Um, but it's also part of my life of leisure, of contemplation, of family and social intercourse. And I ought to take a certain delight in sitting at table because these things weren't just randomly assigned tastes. Um, although we probably will differ as to the precise way in which they were assigned tastes. Mm -hmm. Um, but they weren't like randomly assigned tastes so as to within the setting of evolutionary biology signal, this is a vitamin and this is a nutrient, but because like they're meant to be enjoyed, they're addressed to us for our enjoyment. Yes. I'm saying by God, regardless. And so we need to engage with What's basically what's on offer, like what has been set before us in the table of plenty. Yes. Uh, come to the feast of heaven and earth. And uh, to to order our appetites, the corresponding appetites, in a way that helps us to become like dignified yeah. at the table rather than barbarous or cold. Yeah. Let's get, so let's, I, let's yeah, it's great framing about the appetites, especially because it's, again, the, the manifestation of it is the amount of food you might eat, but what really is important is actually the desires, the structure of desires uh, and, and your soul involved in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So even though it's a material thing, it seems it's not really just about the matter. It's really ultimately about your soul. It's what vices are about uh, and virtues correspondingly. So um, let's talk though, maybe to give our, let's some concrete cases you could say yeah. of how we can go. Cause it's easier sometimes to see the mistakes made yeah. to like, say it's like when you're bowling, it's easier instead of saying, I'm going to hit that front pin first, you're going to say, I'm going to avoid the gutters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's easier sometimes with trying to find the middles to avoid, avoid the other things. So maybe point out what are some, some common things that, and so maybe some things that people don't realize that actually this is like a gluttonous um, potential or could lead to this desire that we have to be careful of. Yeah. So maybe we can talk just briefly about the ends and then Mm -hmm. talk about the means. So as concerns the ends, uh, we want to ensure that food doesn't become an end for us. There are a variety of ways in which that can happen. Mm -hmm. And you see this in the way that some people describe their food life, whether they're like turbo foodies or turbo vegans or turbo health nuts. Sometimes you can begin to get the sense like, is this displacing God in some way, shape or form? That's not to, you know, trigger all those who care about food in that way. I'm not saying that it necessarily leads to mortal sin, but if you get the end wrong, that's where we're dealing with mortal sin. Mm -hmm. Typically we're dealing with the means, getting the means wrong. And that would typically be a kind of venial sin. And St. Thomas will describe ways in which we go off the rails. And he'll say, you know, he gives five adverbs to describe. He says like daintily, sumptuously, Mm -hmm. excessively, and then hastily and greedily. Mm -hmm. So, Daintily being like, we're, we're overly particular in the manner of preparation. Sumptuously, we require 
overly refined products or overly refined foods um, excessively. We just take too much of it. And that's the one that we often think of the most. Yes. And yep. then greedily and hastily means, at, you know, before the proper time, because we can't possibly wait. And then we just mm -hmm. eat like a vacuum cleaner because yeah. we don't actually care about who's seated at the table or the humanity with which I leave mm -hmm. the table because we've treated this like a holy util exchange. So I think yep. ends and means is a nice way to kind of set That's up the convo. And it also, it does expand out, not to scare anyone, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, more, but time to root out sins, you know? I mean, as long as, as yeah, the venial sins, they're all, they're, they're amongst us, so we should root them out. And these are things to be attentive to. I remember um, when I was, I was dating before into the order a while back, obviously, um, and uh, I'm a fast eater. I'm a super fast eater. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's because I think I, I want to have the, I want to get into conversation with people. Um, although maybe this is psychology because actually it's because of this, but, um, and so I'm happy to get through the food. I'm happy to talk and, and I'm happy to sit at tables for a while and just kind of talk. So it's not like I'm trying to get through with the meal and treat it as just a resource. It's, I, I'm just a fast eater, um, exclusive or otherwise. I remember I was, I was with, uh, uh, the, the, the young lady I was dating. She, she was a slow eater. And so I realized like one of our first, first dates, I had eaten the entire meal, uh, before she had like, we'd made meal and before she had like finished her salad. And I was, just, I, I was withered. And it was the first time I realized like, actually, this is a vice. Like I, I should take my time with the meal because, you know, just to balance it out and this. And so I tried to learn how to t like chew more and take little bite. And it wasn't, so I just became a Dominican, just wasn't going to work. Right, exactly. Um, so now you can go through that. But it, it that but that is an element of intemperance, of the speed. Yep, exactly. And lack of, of, of balance involved in these things. And people might not have, people again, as you say, think about just eating too many donuts. Um, but there are these other, it's, just mistreating food in relation to our bodies and our desires. And in, as you say, ends and means and being careful about how the means are used. That's where the, where venial sin can come in. You're right about that. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's a good place to register with people's kind of moral imagination mm -hmm. um, because speedily, it's something that we don't typically assign a moral weight to, yeah. but then we can begin to appreciate why it might have one. Because if you're inhaling food, okay, it's like, whatever. It took me five minutes. It took me 20 minutes. But why are we typically inhaling food? Because we typically are addicted to work or we're addicted to stress mm -hmm. and we don't sit down for a meal and enjoy it with those whom we love. We treat it as a kind of hyper util exchange. And so I'm just getting calories here. Yep. And as a result of which I'm not, I'm not actually treating food as food. I'm just treating it Resource. as, you know, like, yeah, you could, Gas. you could just like put in a feeding tube yep. and get all those whatever pertinent resources as yeah. you see fit to do. Like why, why is it that God has had us chew? Why is it that God has had us taste and, and chewing conduces to good digestion and good digestion conduces to good health and good health conduces to perhaps good worship provided that we receive it accordingly. So that's one of those things where it's like, okay, there's a reason for which there's a human rate at which life ought to be conducted. Mm -hmm. And we are getting just pushed along the highway of life at an increasing mm -hmm. speed, yeah. which is beginning to break us down. And I think we're, we're starting to appreciate that as our impatience grows, as the prospect of waiting in a line becomes ever more fearful and you know everything that kind of comes in the wake of that. And then the idea that, so that'd be hastily, but then greedily, the idea that a lot of us, for instance, when the desire for food first happens upon us, uh, provided we're not sufficiently stressed as to forget about and food entirely, when it happens upon us, it often comes with the idea, like, if I don't eat now, I'll die. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know, like you, let's say you ate breakfast at 5.45 and you've got a lunch break at 12 and at 10.43, you're thinking, I'm not going to make it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make it. It's, it's always clamorous. It's always... Um, like overly urgent mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't correspond to reality. So part of cultivating the virtue of temperance, whether of, 
you know, abstinence or fasting in the appropriate circumstances, it helps you to speak reason, both yeah. human and divine, back into a situation and say, like, where is this coming from? Why am I afraid? Why am I harried and hurried? Why have I conceded all of this crazy logic in a way that I never intended to? And that's what that's kind of what vice does. So I think that those those are good ones to kind of help moralize our imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, that's that's great. Now on the so those are the the negatives we could say in the aspects. Um, how do we strengthen the virtues to deal with the virtue of temperance in this specific field? Like what are some good ways to, to imagine again, moral imagination and our own practices, uh, not to be, you know, see food as the enemy, but rather just to realize what food ought to be and how we ought to relate to it. Do you have any tips and thoughts about how to do this kind of thing? Yeah, I actually, I just got to know, um, these women who have a, uh, an apostolate called Reform Wellness. And I was, uh, sitting in one of their webinars recently and they were given some just simple, but very practical tips. And it's like, okay, if you're currently sitting for one meal a day, challenge yourself to sit for two, mm -hmm. to slow down, to live life at a human pace, to interact with your food in a human way. Another thing is if you're compromising on sleep, try to get a little more because often when we're, when we're over snacking or over binging or overindulging in whatever it is that we need to get us through the day, be that caffeine or tobacco or sugar, it's because we're depleted. It's because we're tired. It's because we haven't given our body sufficient resources with which to recover. And there's no resource like sleep for recovery. Yeah. Um, so that, that could also be something to incorporate. And then when it comes to the food itself, you know, like good food, it doesn't have to be overly good in the sense that, you know, you'll see these YouTube videos where Mr. Beast eats a $300,000 plate of ice cream. It's like, we're not talking about good food in that way. That would be a little too particular, uh, but just, you know, good food made from good products that nourishes your body with good fuel and chew it, you know, begin the digestion process in your mouth and then permit the digestion process to take its course rather than constantly pushing that it occur faster. So you can get to the next task, which will only contribute to further exhaustion, potential fatigue, and even burnout. So I think like a lot of it means attaining to a human disposition. That's not even to broach the question of like the supernatural standard mm -hmm. of, of intake. And I think that that fasting comes into yes. the, into the conversation in that setting as well. Yes. Yeah, to have some control over the body. I think the other thing in, in my mind, maybe this is too philosophical or something is instead of focusing on the object, we often think about the food, food types, what we're, what we're eating is to focus on the activity of eating. So the action that's involved, you mentioned this with the chewing and what we're doing. So when we're, when we're eating, we're not just taking objects in and turning them into us, right? We're, we're, engaged in a human activity, which can be done well and can be done poorly. And just to ask ourselves, take a, just take a step back. <laughs> seems a strange question to ask, but do I eat well? And not in the sense of, do I take in this many calories, make sure I'm in the food pyramid, make sure I'm getting the, what's well, not the food pyramid anymore, it's some sort of plate. Um, but am I getting the right, the right numbers? No, no, not, not that, the, not the objective kind of eating well, but the subjective in the sense that the activity of the agent, like, is this an activity that I do well uh, and that I do virtuously, that I do moderately, that I do temperately, that I do in all the kind of labels about do, so that I'm living well. All the activities of the of, of our human of our humanity are designed to add up to having us live well and order ourselves internally and therefore then externally towards God. So it's it might be a question to ask yourself when you say, "Am I eating well?" Not just how many calories I'm taking in and what kind of what part of the, the food chain those are food part of that those are <laughs> birds, worms, <laughs> you know, um, blue whales, but not just the kind of objects you take it in and the yeah. numbers and the quantization, the mathematization of all that, but rather the, the activity of it. Yeah. When I sit down and just think about yourself and do I, do I consume food well? 
Or do I consume food too quickly or too greedily or too hastily or or just inappropriately? And you can look around at others and say, you know, again, seems strange, like, who eats well? But we all need models. And again, it's a lower good. But back to the genes issue, you know, you stop small things and uh, you can stop some of the big ones too. <laughs> I think this makes me think of the way that Joseph Pieper describes temperance as like selfless self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like we're not meant to focus excessively on food. We're not to think about food too terribly much. We're to think about it in a way that's proportionate to the type of good that it is, which on the aforementioned food chain, on the <laughs> celestial food chain is yeah. rather low on the pecking order. Yes. Okay. So we're, we're meant to think about it in the way that it merits being thought about. And, and here you think about what's a virtue. Well, a virtue makes a man to be good and to act well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about producing good results. If it were, we'd be consequentialists, but we're not, at least some of us aren't. Um, it's about acting well. It's about perfecting our agency. It's about mm-hmm. making us a kind of virtuoso of the moral life such that regardless of the circumstances, you're invited to this family's house and they serve a thing that was, you know, like probably hurtful for you if you were to try to eat it on account of the fact that you have this allergy or you're going out to this restaurant and you ask them if they have this type of ingredient and they say yes, but you suspect they're lying. And, you know, you can imagine any number of situations in which the pertinent virtue of temperance with, you know, abstinence and fasting coming in its wake are applicable, mm-hmm. right? But the point is so that you can navigate all those with a kind of freedom, with a kind of ease and promptitude and delight. Yeah. So it's not just, again, like you said, to, to quantify and to mathematicize. Uh, it's ultimately to interiorize this hierarchy of goods so that we can engage with it fruitfully. And that will often mean paying attention to things that we might not pay attention to as much or in as, as part of the same conversation. Yeah, so to play, uh, the image I had was to play, the virtue is about playing the body well, mm-hmm. playing the body well, <laughs> like it's an instrument or something. Uh, uh. But we'll skip it there. We'll leave it there um, for for the moment. So uh, thanks for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or X, uh, Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review if you'd like to donate to the podcast. Check us out on Patreon. You can look on the website. Follow the link in the description. Uh, you can also follow the link in the description to shop God's Planning merchandise and to get the information of upcoming God's Planning events, which this is the last time we mention this, but there is a retreat, the Young Adults Retreat in Malvern, Pennsylvania, November 3rd through 5th. Uh, we'll be there for the second time in Malvern. We'd love to have you there. Please, if you haven't signed up and you've got a, a chance to come, go ahead and join. We'd love to see you. The retreats are great to step away. Uh, a little bit of temperance there, I suppose, and balance things out, and you get to live it out in practice, and maybe watch Father Gregory eat well. Um, so we'd love to see you there. But that's it from us on God's Planning. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.